0: Amen. Thank you JC. All right. Good morning. morning. Hope you guys are good. If you are uh, back in town, college students, show of hands. Glad to have you back. Glad you're back. Um, always exciting to get you guys back here. brings a lot of energy, uh, to the church and just excited for you guys what this semester would hold. Um, so we've come out of 2021, obviously. Here in 2022, at the end of 21, we wrapped up a series um, on the minor prophets. We went through all 12 of the minor prophets. It's an incredible series. Coming out of that, now we are going into um, the book of Philippians. So we're going to go all the way through the book of Philippians. In fact, if you want to turn there, you can. Um, going to be beginning at verse one. And in fact, the next two weeks we are going to talk about the first two verses. Of the book of Philippians. I promise we will not go that slow through the whole book, but there's a couple of messages that I feel like the Lord really put on our heart to, to look at um, through these first two verses. So that's where we're going to be today, through this, going through the book of Philippians, the first two chapters there. Uh, you can turn there in your Bible, your phone, whatever. It'll also be up on the screen as we read, so you can follow along there. Um, the book of Philippians is a letter, really, that the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And so he wrote this letter uh, to the church in this city called Philippi. It's a letter where you can really feel Paul's love for these people. He he loves them deeply. Um, There is a, a strong affection that he has for them. One of the reasons for that is that they have partnered with him is the way he puts it in the gospel. And so they have come alongside him. They have supported him. They have been a part of of the gospel going forward um, into different areas of the world. And a lot of this letter is thanking them for that and praying for them because they've been such a vital part of this. And so I want you today, first of all, to understand that we together as the church are partners in the gospel. That's what we are here for, is to carry the gospel to places that it has not been, to bring the gospel to people who have not heard, or maybe they've never come to a relationship with God through Jesus. We're partners in that. Um, Serving together, giving together, doing life together so that we can advance the gospel just as Paul called them partners in the gospel. So are we, this message of Jesus that we carry, we're in this together to accomplish those purposes. Um, You can go read about the founding of the church in Philippi in Acts chapter 16, uh, sometime, drop back there, catch that, read it. Um, it's really awesome. Paul ended up in Philippi through what we sometimes in church call the Macedonian call or the Macedonian vision. One night uh, as he, uh, is lying there, he has a vision of a man in Macedonia and he's saying, come here. We need you. We need your help. Uh, so he realizes it's the Lord. He gets up, they, they pack up, they go immediately into Macedonia, which is where Philippi is. Uh, one of the first people that comes to faith is a lady named Lydia. Uh, from there, uh, you see a, a jailer and his family come to faith. Uh, it, it's just an incredible story. So Acts chapter 16 is where you'll find where this church was established. But let's read the first two verses. Then we're going to pray. And then we'll get into this, see what the Lord has for us today. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. says, Paul and Timothy. Timothy was like an understudy of Paul's, an apprentice, someone Paul was raising up to help lead the churches. So Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. It says, to all God's holy people. A lot of translations right there say, to the saints. And, that, and that's really important, the saints. In, in the original language, it, it meant most holy thing. And so he's literally saying this, let us sink in a little bit. He's saying, to the most holy people to the saints, in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray, Lord, thank you for your word and its truth, the power that it holds, God, I thank you today that, Lord, you would speak to our hearts, that you would open our eyes to see and to behold, just, God, to see how amazing you are once again. I pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear what your Spirit's saying to us, God, and that we would leave here, God, with eyes that see more like you see, to know you better, to know who we are in you better, to know why we're here, Lord. God, we thank you for it. We praise you today for you worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you this question. So how many of you, if I were to tell you, um, I want you to get out of your seat right now and I want you to come and line up behind one of these words. Over here, sinner, and over here, saint. I don't know this 100%, but I feel pretty certain that most of us would get out of our seat and come line up behind sinner, right? I don't think very many of us would just get out of our seat and go, yeah, Saint, that's me, right? And just come over here and get behind Saint. Because our mind, our heart doesn't tell us that. We, we see ourselves typically much more as sinners, as fault, you know, with faults. And, and rightfully so, we, we are, right? But here's something that's really incredible. is the Apostle Paul begins this letter, and he begins a lot of the letters and throughout the different letters, He actually calls the believers saints. And it's not because these Philippians were perfect, even though he loved them dearly. He he says this about a lot of the churches. In fact, Paul uses the word saint 45 times in his writings. And he uses this word to refer to those who are in Christ. But when we think about a saint, we typically don't think about ourselves. We typically don't even think about the person next to you you're sitting next to your spouse, you're not sitting here probably most likely thinking this person beside me is a saint. If you are, you've been married a week, (laughs) right? Doesn't take long to figure it out. And you didn't date very long. And, and, And so we don't typically think that we typically don't see it that way. We don't think that way, but Paul saw something different. And that's what I want us to see today. Typically, when we think about saints, we think about people like Paul, We think about somebody that lived a long time ago, that lived a saintly life. And I want you to look at a couple of pictures. These are typically more what we think about as saints. So you got a a statue here dedicated to St. Paul, right? You got another one here. This is St. Francis. You got another one here that St. Mary, right? You got one more, St. Peter. And so these people, yes, giants of the faith, but deemed by other people to be saints. Here's what I want you to understand. Saints are not people deemed by other people to be holy. Saints are people deemed by God to be holy through Jesus. So man's opinion of someone does not make you a saint or not make you a saint. It's God's opinion of you in Christ that makes you a saint. Here's where we struggle. We can't get out of this old way of thinking and this old paradigm of seeing ourselves as sinners and begin to live as a saint. We can't see ourselves this way. We can't fathom it. You mean me, who who is so imperfect in so many ways. You're telling me that I'm a most holy thing. Now in your flesh, in, in your reality, in your current state, no, you are sinful, I am sinful. But in my status in Christ, yes, I am the righteousness of God. That's what the Bible tells us. It's it's, it's mind-blowing. And it's so mind-blowing, it's hard to wrap our mind around it. And see, here's a huge problem that we have in the church, guys. And this is something we have to get over. We have to move beyond. We've got to grow out of. We still live in the old because we can't accept that we are new. We still see ourselves... As pre-Christ, we can't get away from the old because we still, we can't accept the fact that we are new, that we've been made new. That he who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I want you to understand this. These verses and passages like Romans 8.1, it says, therefore there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. These passages that are so powerful, they weren't written so we can have a magnet on our refrigerator. They were written to set us free, to deliver us. But see, we still live in the old because we can't accept the new. For so many believers, there's this overwhelming grip of shame that still strangles the life of Jesus in us. The result, listen, rather than being the freest people, Christians oftentimes live the most bound. We're bound up in rules. We're bound up in our past. We're bound up in what might be in the future. We're bound up in people's opinions of us, things that were said, done years ago. We're bound up in the manipulation that we've been through. We're bound up in all of these things. And instead of being the freest people, we're often the most bound. Because when you become a Christian, you have a heart to serve God. You want to get it right. But guess what? No one in this room ever gets it right all the time. And when we fail, our hearts condemn us. But the good thing is that God's word speaks a better word over us than we even speak over ourselves. This condemnation and shame and guilt and striving and straining, it becomes this weight that crushes our soul. It becomes like this crippling weapon that the enemy uses against us. It, It even becomes like, relational atom bombs, just blowing up relationships all around us, bringing destruction to how we relate to God, ourselves, other people around us. And these thoughts and feelings that we struggle with so much, they, they start to sour our spirit. They start to frustrate like our faithfulness. They, they begin to disorient how we see reality so that everything begins to be defined by my performance, not by Christ. And it's a huge issue. See, here's the thing I can tell you. I know we got a lot of young people in here at 11. We got some old people like me too. Here's what I know. If you are a parent and you tell me you've never had this thought, I am the worst parent that's ever lived and you tell me you have never had that thought, then you are lying. Because everybody that's been a parent's had that thought. Every parent has screwed it up to the point where they have thought, what is my child going to tell the therapist in 20 years? I've had that thought. I'm like, I can see him right now sitting in the chair. Well, I remember what my dad said. If you've been married very long, you messed it up. You got something wrong. You breathed, right? You clanked the cereal bowl. You did something that messed it up. It doesn't take long for these things. And listen, for some of us, there's some really big things, 5, 10, 15, 20, maybe even just a month ago, maybe 30 years ago, that just seem to linger out there that seems to suffocate us. For others, it, it, it might not be this huge monumental thing, but you know what happens? You get enough little things and they end up weighing as much as that one big thing. For some of you, you've had so much stuff happen that you think I'm under this big pile of, of mess, of rocks, of weight, and I will never get out of it. This is just how it's gonna be. And you have settled for the fact that this is what it will be be. And those feelings of being overwhelmed, not measuring up, not being able to do enough, they begin to be crushing. And here's the thing I realized, that just like a hand on your throat can choke the physical life out of your body, this mindset that I can't get away from being a sinner to a saint, and I'm constantly living in the performance trap, I'm constantly living in condemnation, I'm constantly living in shame, guilt, overwhelmed by having to strive and strain and be enough, constantly um, struggling through those things, those things become like a hand on the throat of my spiritual life. How many of you know what the universal sign of choking is? You know what that is? It's this, right? That's a pretty good sign. Yeah, you know, I think most people just do that naturally. I don't think you have to know like universal sign. No, you just, I'm choking, right? And, and that's kind of like the, uni- is the universal sign. And so you see somebody doing this and you know that they can't breathe, like that they're, they're, they're choking, that, that um, they need help. And here's the thing that hit me this week. That's pretty easy to see physically. But I wonder if this morning, if we could look around us and see into the soul's and see into the spirits of the people around us. How many people in here would have their hands around their throat? How many people on the inside this morning are suffocating? How many people on the inside this morning are hurting to the point that they wonder, am I going to get through it? How many people on the inside this morning are just tired and they just need a fresh breath, but, but this thing seems to be, whatever it is, it seems to be choking out the life in me. I think there'd be a lot more people than we probably realize People in here with all kinds of things that are holding them back and binding them up. Here's the thing I want you to know today, and here's where the hope is. We may have this issue of not being able to seemingly get out of the old and get into the new, but here's the thing I can tell you. We can be set free. We can walk into what Jesus has already given us. See, as Christians, we are already not yet people. Here's what I mean by that. But in faith, I am already a saint. But in my state, the way I currently am, I'm a sinner. But from the moment of faith in Christ, I go from being labeled a sinner by God and seen as a sinner by God to being seen as a saint. And for the rest of my life, the work of God in my life, not just through my striving and straining and working to try to be a good person, but through God's spirit working in me and me just being in relationship with God and fixing my eyes on Jesus. What ends up happening is for the rest of my life, God is taking my state that is sinful and moving it towards what he's already made me, a saint. And so for the rest of my life, I am becoming what he's already made me. But it doesn't happen overnight. And it's not always easy, but it's always worth it. And God is moving us from from this state of sinner to who we already are, a saint. The Bible says that he takes us from glory to glory as we behold Christ, as we look to Jesus as we celebrate what he has done. Cause see, here's the thing guys, this already not yet state that this, the fact that I'm a saint when I know I'm a sinner. See, Paul never forgot the fact that he was a sinner. He called himself the chief of sinners, but you know what he knew? He knew that there was somebody who spoke a better word over him and that was God because he saw him through Christ. And this already not yet state, the fact that I know I'm a sinner, but God's made me a saint and this is my true identity and this is who I really am, even though this is what I really do. See, this is where worship happens. This is where worship happens. I know I'm this, but I know I'm that, right? I know I'm this, and this is my actual opinion of myself, and this is my actual opinion of a lot of people around me, but you know what? There's one who is greater than me, who is greater even than my own conscience and my own heart. And you know what he says? He says, You're my son, you're my daughter, whom I love, and you are a saint. You are the most holy. Mind blowing. So here's the thing we can live free. We can, we can. I've experienced more freedom in the last three years than I've ever experienced in my life. And today I wanna give you a pathway for that. It begins with this, it begins with you've gotta make a choice. You've gotta make a choice. How many of you have ever heard the saying, there's no such thing as a stupid question? Anybody ever heard that? How many of y'all know that's a stupid statement? There are such things as stupid questions. And there's stupid stupid people that ask stupid, but I shouldn't say that, right? But but one day I'm I'm boiling something uh, outside. I've got this boiling water and a member of my family, I'm not gonna say who it was, is out there with me. And I said, hey, how about take this boiling water and, and go pour it out over by the edge of the woods? And so like, okay, so they get it. They're walking, got this big pot of hot water and they're walking over to the edge of the woods and they stopped and, and just as, I promise you, this is the honest truth. They stop and turn around and look at me and they go, this ain't gonna catch the woods on fire, is it? Stupid question. It's boiling water. Like what's the, uh, what, at what point does water flame, Right? Like somebody said between services, water gets hot enough, it evaporates. And he's like, I'm like, no, I think you're good. I think you're good. And so there are stupid questions. I'm going to ask you a question that a lot of you will think is stupid. Would you rather live in grace or condemnation? Would you rather live in grace or condemnation? Grace. Stupid question, right? Which one do you live in? Which one do you live in more? I guarantee you, you live stuck in that performance trap, bound, even sometimes condemned, sometimes feeling shamed, more than you live in God's grace. More than you live like a saint, a daughter, a son who has been set free by Jesus. I do too. When we do that, guys, and some of you will understand this, you'll relate to this. When we live in that shame and guilt, this feeling of struggling to find acceptance, as JC said about the students, trying to live for acceptance, not living from it, living with the mindset like that, living with the mindset of a sinner, it can feel like being in hell. It can be a constant trap. That we feel like we are in hell. But here's the thing that I want to encourage you with today. The pit of hell is a place for those condemned, not a place for the sons and daughters of God. And today, if you say, I want to live in grace, not condemnation, then this can happen. But some of you become so conditioned to living in this place of condemnation to living in this place of, of not quite good enough, not quite yet, or maybe not even close, that you don't realize Jesus has set you free and you can step into freedom. We've got a lab in our yard and we've got this underground fence. And what I've noticed with him is even when the battery dies in his collar and he can come across that fence, he'll just sit there and look at me on the porch. He wants to come up there so bad he can't stand it, but he just sits there and looks at me. He's free. He could go anywhere he wants to. And yet he's so accustomed to that being the line that he always stops, no matter. Some of us need to realize that we've been set free in Christ and we can step into what's new. We are no longer bound. And listen, it's not freedom like we think about in America where it's freedom to do whatever I want to do. No, it's freedom to do what you were created to do. And if you will step into that, you will find the greatest joy of your life because you're doing what you were created to do. I want to read a passage of scripture to you. Hebrews chapter 10. The writer of the book of Hebrews, writing to these Hebrew Christians, he says this in verse 19. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, he's saying, listen, we have confidence. You know who has confidence? A saint, not a sinner. Someone who realizes they're holy and can come into the presence of God, not because of their own works, but thank God through Christ. By new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, meaning the sacrifice of Jesus opened a way for us. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, he says this, let us draw near to God With a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water i want you to see this you can live free we can have cleansed consciences we can think no longer like a sinner but begin to think like a saint we can have this paradigm shift You got to make a choice. Do I want to live in grace or do I want to live in condemnation? Am I willing to fight this battle? Am I willing to let God fight this battle with me? So make a choice. Number two, take Jesus at his word. Take Jesus at his word. I'd ask you this question. Is God's word your ultimate authority? Is God's word the highest authority in your life? Is it the highest opinion in your life? Is it the highest authority in your life? Because listen, if it is, here's the power of the gospel. John chapter eight, Jesus is speaking to some Pharisees. John chapter eight, beginning there, it's actually the the end of verse 21. I'm sorry, 31. 31. He says, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him. These, these Jewish leaders answer him. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free. For number one, they're they're not even thinking about their own history, For the Jewish people have been slaves multiple times. In fact, even right then, they're under the oppression of the Romans. They're like, we're Abraham's children. We've never been slaves to anyone. But then Jesus is also speaking about something bigger. He's speaking about this reality that we're all bound by sin. And he's saying, listen, if you will hold to my teaching, if you'll hold to my truth, if you'll hold to my word, then you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free, not just from your sin, but free to truly live a new life in Christ we have to take Jesus at his word see the word has the power not only to shift my status from sinner to saint but to actually begin to shift my state my being from sinner to saint it has the power to do that but it has to be the ultimate authority in my life if it's going to shift my status, if it's going to shift my state, then it's got to change my state of mind. That's why Romans twelve two tells us to not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed through the renewing of our minds. Ephesians 4, and 23 tells us to be renewed in the attitudes of our minds, to begin to think different. The word has the power to change how we think and how we see everything. It becomes a lens for us to look through, to see God, ourselves, others, our reason for existence, but only if it is the highest authority in our life. Let me ask you this. Does God's word determine how you see things, think about things, or are you still holding on to your preferences? See, if we only agree that God's word is true when it lines up with my opinions and my preferences and it still has yet to become the highest authority in my life. If God's word is just an opinion among opinions. then We're not giving it the proper place and it won't do the work that God designed it to do. If God's words, just an opinion among opinions and understand this. Jesus is just a God among other gods. If he's just a God among other gods, then you and I are still stuck in our sin and we're trapped under the weight of the condemnation and shame and performance-based system that we have known for all of our lives. And our only hope, listen, 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 our only hope at that point, if God's word is not our ultimate authority and Jesus is not the God of our life, not a God, then, then understand this, our only hope of escape is becoming a better version of you. Just be a better you. Don't we do that at the first of the year anyway? New year, new me, or me, new me, new year. I don't even know because it's all hogwash, right? You're, in a month, you'll be back in the same thing if it's you doing it yourself. That's all we're left with. But understand this. If you could fix you, you would have fixed you a long time ago. God's word has the power to set us free, but we got to give God the proper place. We got to give his word the proper place. His word can't be an opinion among other opinions. His word is the opinion in our life. The last thing I'd give you in this is that we've got to stop keeping score. Score. So we gotta make a choice. Do so I want to live in condemnation or grace? We we gotta make a choice. Am I willing to take Jesus at his word and allow God's word to be the ultimate authority of my life? And then the last one is I gotta stop keeping score. And I'd ask you this question: what will it take for you to put down the scorecard? To stop keeping score, to stop comparing yourself to other people around you, to stop comparing you to even your own standards to stop striving, to try to make yourself something and celebrate who you are in Christ. What would it take for you to put down the scorecard? I got a golf scorecard here. How many of you play golf? Most frustrating game in the world. Never fails. You play 17 holes and you're like, I'll never play this game again. I'm selling my clubs. You get on 18, hit one good shot. And I'm like, I figured it out. I'll come back again most frustrating game there is. And here's the thing about a, a scorecard in golf. I remember when I used to play, golf. I don't play a whole lot anymore, but I remember when I used to play, it seemed like no golf course had, had pencils to keep score with, with erasers on them. Is that just me? Or is that, it, it seemed like that used to be the way it is. Now, when I go to most golf courses, they got erasers on the pencils, which makes it really convenient, right? Because a lot of times what we do in golf is we will replace the truth with a lie. Will we not? We will replace the truth with a lie. We we got a seven because we triple putted from six feet. But if I had taken my time, I would have made that first putt, right? You know, I hit that shot and it really wasn't that bad. They shouldn't have planted that tree there. And so I'll replace the truth with a lie. I make it look a little better than what it actually was. And a lot of times that's what we do playing golf is we replace the truth with a lie. But you know, we do the same exact thing in life. God gives us his truth. He tells us who he is, who we are, how we're to relate to other people, what our purpose on earth is. And you know what we do? We replace the truth with a lie. We hear opinions, the world around us, different things, and it comes in and it begins to replace what God has told us with a lie. What if we reversed that? What if we started replacing the lies with the truth? How much more free would we become? How about this? What if you began to replace the lies with the truth and you found out that God is much more fond of you than you think he is? What if you replace the lies with the truth and you found out that God is really fighting for you? And even when it doesn't feel like it, you have truth that tells you he is for you, not against you. What if we started seeing it differently? Because Here's the reality. Most of us carry one of these around. It's not a Golf course, scorecard, but we've got one in our mind and we keep up with it. And for many of us, there's things on our scorecard that we have a hard, hard time putting down. Things like divorce. For some of us on our scorecard, there's this big dean called divorce and we seem to have a really hard time moving past that, right? Right? to completely heal for that not to be some type of baggage that we feel like it's gonna define us forever, especially in the church. For others, there's been a lot of sexual promiscuity. You feel like, man, I'm damaged, damaged goods. God can forgive me, but man, I really know what happened. And you carry that on the scorecard. There's Adultery. There's alcoholism. There's drug abuse, addiction. There's family destruction that's been caused. There's anger. There's lust. There's pornography, abortion, cheating people, people that you have cheated, laziness, gossip, manipulation. All of these things begin to stack up on our scorecard. Boy, that thing gets heavy. Gets heavy. And then for others of us, there has been abuse. Someone abused us sexually, physically, mentally, emotionally. And that so defines us today. It still wants to tell us who we are. Yeah, you, you, you may be righteous. Yeah, they all that theology and church stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what you really are. Some people have been cheated. Some people have been cheated on. People have been deserted, manipulated. You've been told by by people who are really important to you that you'll never be good enough, that you aren't good enough. You've told you'll never be anything. You've, You've bought into this lie that I will never be free. That's just not the truth. And today we need to replace those lies with the truth i think about the apostle paul wrote this letter wrote several letters In the Bible. And here's the thing a lot of people don't realize about the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul would never have been called Saint Paul early on in his life because the Apostle Paul actually condoned to the murder of Christians, drug off men, women, and children, and put them in prison. And I've often thought about this. How in the world, when Paul would lay his head on a pillow at night and he would get quiet, you know that quiet right before you go to sleep, when your mind gets kind of free finally from all the hustle and the bustle and the hassle of life, and all of a sudden your mind begins to drift and just go places. Sometimes you don't want it to go. How in the world did the apostle Paul lay his head on a pillow at night and not see the face of Stephen who he condoned the stoning of He's literally standing there holding the cloaks of the men who were pelting this young man who did nothing wrong with stones and he's seeing his face and he can hear the rocks hitting and how does he not lay there and just see that and feel this overwhelming shame and condemnation and guilt and unworthiness and just feel like giving up? How did he remain faithful in that? How could, how could he not lay there and, and in his mind and in his eyes see the face and the women of the women and the children, the screams, hear the screams of the mothers and fathers being torn away from their children to hear all of this and see all of this and to continue to go forward? How could he do that knowing that he had been so wrong? See, Paul is the one who wrote some of these passages. Paul is the one who wrote 2 Corinthians 5.17 that he who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. See, Paul, if he had a had a refrigerator, he wasn't writing these things to stick them on the refrigerator. He was writing these things because it was heart knowledge. It was truth for him that it set him free and gave him the ability to live for Christ, even though he knew that I am still a sinner. He knew, <laughs> he knew Romans 8, 1, because he wrote it that he, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? He understood what he wrote in the book of Romans when he said, even while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. These things weren't just nice sayings. You know what they were? They were the sword of the spirit is what the Bible calls God's word. The sword of the spirit. And every time the enemy tried to say, yeah, Paul, but what about Stephen? Stephen. He said, that's the old man. That's the old man. Don't talk to me about the old man because I'm a new man. All that old stuff is gone. God has separated that from me as far as the East is from the West. My past, present, and future sin, it's all gone. And you know what I am now? I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God set free. But what's it going to take? Listen, what's it going to take for you To put down the scorecard of your life. To begin to allow God's opinion of you to be your opinion of you. What's it gonna take? I wanna read Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking to the Jewish people, the Israelites, the nation of Israel. And in this chapter, God is, Showing them all of their unfaithfulness, and he's declaring his mercy to them. And he says, This, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Now, now, God's not up there and he like he, he got put in concussion protocol. He hadn't forgotten, right? What it means is. He doesn't act on that anymore. It's separated. It's done. It's gone. Now go to Colossians chapter two. He blots out our transgressions and remembers our sins no more. Back into the New Testament, a little bit past Philippians. Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins, when we were in this status, this is where we were. And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. In other words, we owed him because of our sin. Yet he canceled that charge, that red that was in our ledger. He canceled it out and he credited our account with Christ. He says, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. What what is it going to take for you to put down the scorecard? Because see, here's the thing, many of us are holding on to it. Many of us are struggling with it. We keep fighting and keep trying. We're gonna do enough one day, one day maybe. Some of us have given up and things from our past keep coming up, keep seeming to haunt us. Things currently seem to be too big of a struggle for me to handle. Things in the future tell me it might not be good. Yet the Bible says this. It says that God has taken that scorecard that we love to keep. And he's completely blotted out the sin. When will we learn to live loved the way we really are? When will we get to a point where we can live in the love of God and understand that all of those things have been blotted out? When will we, because it can begin today, when will we begin to replace the lies that we've believed about us about each other, about God, about our purpose? When will we begin? Can we start today? Would you start that today? When you start to get that sick feeling in your stomach, like something's not right, I'm not right, they're not right, God can't love me, no way God can love me the way I am right now, no way that they can love me the way I am right now, no way am I gonna love me the way I am right now. We start getting that sick feeling of I'm not doing enough, I can't do enough, I'm never gonna be able to do enough, I'm never gonna be enough. And we get to this place where we start feeling that, you know what we need to do is we need to stop. Don't you sit there and just accept that feeling. You stop and you say, where is this coming from? And then you begin to recognize, this is what I'm believing from this mistake I made at work. This is what I'm believing by what that person said to me. This is what I'm believing by what happened back then. This is what I'm believing by what might happen tomorrow. This is what I'm believing. And you stop. And instead of just accepting the feeling, instead of just accepting the lie, this is what you do. You take God God's truth, and you replace that lie with the truth, and it'll set you free. It will set you free. Guys, I know this because I know what it's done for me. I know what it's done for me. It's not that things still aren't a battle. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I have things every day that throw this stuff back up at me. But what I can tell you is I've learned this, that what God says about me is enough. And I say this and people think I'm joking, but it's honestly the truth. And I don't want this to happen, certainly. But if next week I show up here and I'm the only one I'm going to go eat breakfast. Because this doesn't determine who I am. You know what? I'm going to make a mistake here and there as a parent. I'm going to make a mistake here and there as a husband. I've made some big mistakes in my past. But the blood of Jesus covers them all. And for those who are in Christ, we've gone from here to here. God is way more fond of you than you realize. Father, I thank you today. If today you'd like to come and pray, there'll be people up here to pray for you. Maybe you need to lay down some things that you've been keeping on your scorecard. Maybe some bitterness, maybe some hurt, some anger, even at yourself. Maybe you need to come and do that. There'll be people here to pray with you, to pray for you. Father, thank you that you set us free that you do exactly what you said that we can take jesus at his word the truth sets us free that it is god-breathed and powerful for pulling down strongholds it's inaccurate ways of thinking that we've been trapped in many times lord and i thank you for that today if you're here and you would say i've never given my life to jesus i don't have a relationship with christ but you know the lord is putting that on your heart today when some of our prayer folks come down here, I wanna ask you that you would come up and just tell them, today's the day of salvation for me. I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they'll walk you through what that means. We're gonna sing this last song. While well, we sing, if you wanna come and pray, there'll be people to pray with you. But remember, and as we declare this today, that we're children of God. Don't let the enemy rob that truth from you.